0: If you're here visiting with us this morning, man, welcome. We, we hope you, uh, um, that you just encounter God in a very intimate way. Uh, I just want to share something real quick with those of you that call Element home. I just want to say thank you so much for all that you've done through the birth of our child a couple of weeks ago, or a week and a half ago, and just want to say thank you uh, just so much for your, um, your cards, your prayers, your gifts, all of that. Just It was very touching uh, just a, what an incredible demonstration of love you guys showered upon us, and thank you so much for that. Um, as we were in the hospital, I stayed with my wife in the hospital, and, and, and uh, you know how you, you kind of go through, uh, you're in labor and you're there for a while, and you just become kind of mentally and physically exhausted, at least I did, I don't know what she was doing, but I was, <laughs> I, I, I was kind of drained and hungry, to tell you the truth, man, so, but anyhow, we're... Um, we're 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 in our room and everything's you know you know our baby was born Jaden was born and, and we're in our room and, and she has some uh, she has some pain meds that she's on Motrin and some Percocets and stuff and so I was there and uh, and uh, of course I was I, uh, we were there and and I'm like you know what I would love to take one of these Percocets to just relax you know I know I know. So I verbalized that, and, you know, she's like, well, go ahead, you know. So we got in her drawer there, was looking at it, and pulled out this, you know, what would be the, per- what would be, the only thing that would be, it would, could be. And so it's in a bubble pack, and I'm like, this is kind of odd, you know. So um, and then, I, and then I'm kind of paranoid, because I'm like, what if they counted these things? You know, because they're getting all funny about that stuff. Isn't that weird? You know, they're all funny about narcotics and stuff like that. So she's, uh, she, like, takes two, so uh, she said, well, I'll take one, and you take one. And I'm like, that's cool, you know, so I can relax and sleep. So, so I did. And, and the next morning, we kind of discreetly, you know, uh, she kind of discreetly asked the nurse, you know, uh, to her bedside, you know, those, those the the meds, and she said, "Is that the Percocet?" And the pointed to what we took, and she said, "Oh no, those are stool softeners." <laughs> and so, so <clears throat> I won't continue on the rest of this story, <laughs> but I will say I was relaxed. Okay. Let me say that, so that's what you get for taking for for uh, taking narcotics you 're not supposed to, so I guess god's got a again a sense of humor for the ruble family, so anyhow, um, you know as we talk about you know we're in this this we 've been talking about hope in a shattered world, you know our giving time to provide hope to someone that that, that doesn't have hope, maybe their hopes's been shattered could could we make could I make the assumption to say this say that um, that the whole concept of discouragement uh, is, a, is kind of a universal disease, isn't it? I mean, I, I think every single one of us, is, uh, we're, we're not immune to it. And it's so easy to become discouraged. I mean, let's face it. We live in a world where we are bombarded on a daily basis with the messages of no hope. We live in a state where our economy is tanking. We see across the nation that we're living in a, in, in a recession if that's not bad enough, we deal with weather that kind of just, it's like, what in the world's going on with tsunamis? And uh, I think the week we were in the hospital, actually, there was like 80, someone said like 80 tornadoes that went through the southeast, you know, across the states. I mean, it's just like everywhere we turn, job security is crazy. I mean, things that we used to take for granted is really questionable now. And, and, And for some, And, you know, uh, if not all, uh, all of us experience this, but for some of you sitting here this morning, you may be facing a decision, you may be facing something within your life that's going to happen this week where you could say, you know what, I am really anxious and fearful. I really feel like I'm living in a world of no hope. I feel like I'm living in a world of shattered hope, whether it be, you know, things like that or even a relationship that you have going on, whatever it may be. And so, we're experiencing this concept, uh, you know, this, this atmosphere, this vibe, this, this, I don't, you know, this, this, it's like a, this oppression of, of, of no hope. And, it, and it's and, and it really can can discourage many of us, even believers. And this morning, I'm going to share with you some thoughts about, about this, and I want to share with you some encouraging words because uh, there was a uh, Peter, one of the disciples, wrote a letter, and he was addressing uh, he, he addressed his letter uh, to uh, uh, some Christians who had been dispersed, and they were facing some some uh, trials and and things that were a bit crazy, things that they could say, you know what. I don't know where the hope's at. And if you want to turn with me in First Peter, I'm going to share with you. Uh, you can grab uh, your Bible. If not, grab the one out of the back of the pew in f- front of you, but follow along with me. And he's, again, writing this letter to, to uh, some Christians that were facing a sense of hopelessness. And in First Peter, I'm going to start with chapter 1, and I want us to take a look at verses 1 through 9. This is what he says. He, said, he identifies himself, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect... Strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. He goes on to say this. though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him, and even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I remember a few months ago I was uh, thinking about Easter, thinking about this weekend, and and I was and the Spirit guided and directed me to to this letter. And I remember there was something in my life um, that was taking place where I felt discouraged, I felt kind of depressed. And as I read that, and I got down into verse eight where he talks about this inexpressible and glorious joy, I'm thinking, I don't have that right now. I don't have that inexpressible. And glorious joy. And I begin to ask myself, why? Why is it that you know, uh, you know, when he talks about this, why am I not experiencing that? And see, what happens is a lot of times, what we do is we place our hope on things that cannot produce an inexpressible and glorious joy. There's only one thing that's going to produce inexpressible and glorious joy, and that is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the first part of that letter, he calls it the living hope. One translation says, living with the, with the expectancy. And when he talks about hope, it's not like this fragile, insecure hope that says, I hope it's nice tomorrow so I can play a round of golf. It is a hope that says, this is going to happen. Because it's based upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And see guys, when we place our hope in that we can experience inexpressible joy, glorious joy, regardless of what's going on around us. Now, he's writing this letter to a group of individuals. Now, I want to share with you some of the things that was taking place to this group of individuals. These were Christians. They were uh, facing a sense of hopelessness, as I've already said. This is what was being done. This is what was taking place to these people who placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They were literally being fed to the lions. And that's not, a, that's not a metaphor. That is an actual statement that they were being fed to like these cats that were 500 pounds and they would literally shred them and tear them apart. They were literally, you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and said, I believe in the living hope. I, this is the way that I'm following. I am a Christ follower. You could be fed to the lions, you could be burned to the stake, burned at the stake. You uh, were told in history that Neo burned Rome in 64 AD and he blamed it on the Christians, which caused this incredible heavy persecution and oppression upon people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They were tortured. They were imprisoned. And if that's not... How many of you have seen uh, the movie Gladiator? That's a pretty good depiction on what took place to some of the Christians. They, let's pretend like that was happening in our time. It would be like going to the big house and us sitting, and instead of watching a football game, all these people, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, instead of watching a football game, what we would be watching are Christians that would be ushered out onto the field, and then lion, you know, a, a wild animals, lions, literally being released, and watching these people run for their lives. That's what it meant to be a Christian. In this time, And in one translation, Peter writes to them, and it's articulated this way. I know you're going through a few rough times. Now, I don't know about you, but if I got a letter that said, I know you're going through a few rough times, and I was experiencing what we just talked about, it'd be like, no, duh. Would it not? You talk about feeling like a sense of hopelessness. You talk about a feeling that's like, I'm placing my faith in that, and this is what I get? These people were experiencing some major, uh, you know, sense of hopelessness. But he says this later on in that same chapter. And you will rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. What? I mean, talk about a dichotomy of what they were experiencing and then what he's writing. But it's based on something different. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. He says there are things that the believers never should forget. And, and, and today is like one of those days. Easter is like one of those weekends that we always take. And it seems like, it, which, which I think is very appropriate, where we stop and we say, let's talk about the basics. Can't remember Vince Lombardi with the Green Bay Packers? They would get crushed on a Sunday or whenever it was. And the next practice, he would hold up a football and say, gentlemen, this is a football. And there's times where we as Christ followers we need to say, let's get back to the basics. Let's ponder, let's contemplate, let's consider what the most fundamental basics are. And that's exactly what Peter's doing here. If you're a believer, there are three things that you need to remember that will keep you and guard you from being discouraged. They're simple, but they're completely very profound, and you need to focus on them because that will give you lift. The first one is this that we find in our text. Number one, God has chosen you. For his family. Now, I'm going to read some passages of Scripture, in fact, from what we just read. But from here on out, I'm going to read from the Good News Translation. It's a translation I think really, uh, just, I, I just really connect with the way it articulates what we're talking about today. In the Good News Translation, in, in uh, the second verse of, our, of what we read, the first part of that, it says this, Dear friends, God the Father chose you long ago and knew you would become his children. What is he saying? I think what he's saying here is here, guys. Salvation's not an accident. This isn't some serendipitous moment that just happens to us. This is something where God, before all things, he knew about you, and he said, I want to have a relationship. With you, I want you to be a part of my family. I'm choosing you to be a part of my family. I want you to experience my kingdom, my presence. I want you to be part of my family. Which means he took the initiative, which means salvation is not a fluke. It means it was God's idea from the very start. He says you were chosen according to the purpose of God. You're not an accident. Let me tell you something. You're sitting in here this morning. I want to throw out the words of hope that says this. You are not an accident. God had you in mind from the beginning. And he said, I want you to be a part of my family. Guys, if that doesn't get you excited, you need to take your pulse. God saying that I want you to be a part of my family. It brings up the question, though, in my mind, why in the world would God do that? Now... We all get on our horses from time to time, don't we? Well, why wouldn't God choose me? Look what I bring to the table. Look how smart I am. Look at my wisdom. Look at my common sense. Look at my logic. Look at my strength. Look at the way I am. Guys, there is absolutely nothing we can do to earn salvation. You know that. We've talked about that hundreds and hundreds of times. There is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. God says... God says, "I want you to be a part of my family, and it's not something that you've done, but it's because of who I am. I am a God of love, and guys, the more we understand grace, the more we can be amazed with God and who He is. God chose us. You didn't deserve it. You don't deserve heaven. We don't. We're not good enough to be part of His part of it. He chose us. In verse three, it says." For it is his boundless mercy that he has given us the privilege of being born again so that we are now members of God's own family. It's based on God's mercy and not your performance. It's based on God's love, God's grace, God's mercy that he says, you know what? You don't have to earn it. You don't have to perform. You don't deserve it. You can't work hard enough. You can't be perfect enough. It's God's grace that says, I love you. I want a relationship with you. I want you to be a part of my family. Again, if that doesn't encourage you something is off. Especially if you're a believer here this morning. Actually, even if you're a not a believer. God says, you're in my family. You are royalty now. Act like it. You're a child of God, a child of the king. Realize it. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're barely hanging on by a thread. You're facing some decisions this week. You're, you're experiencing some things within your life that when you, that, if you would say, you know what? I have All the reasons to be discouraged this morning, you may be right, but let me tell you something, guys. You're not an accident. God knows exactly what's going on in your life. God knows exactly what you're facing. God knows exactly what you have been facing and what you've been going through. He brought you here for a specific reason today. I am 100% convinced of that. If you're sitting in here this morning, he wants you to hear the good news that he absolutely loves you, he adores you, and that he wants to be a part of your family or his family. Which gives, should give us incredible hope. The second one is this. God is working in me. Peter moves on to the second encouraging fact. He says, you know, God is still working on you, in and through you, in your life. There's times where I don't feel it. Aren't there times where, as a believer, you just don't feel like God's working in your life? Are there times where it's like dark, where you go through that dark valley of the soul, where you just feel like God is a million miles away? God, it's like, where are you at, God? Like when you read the Psalms and David cries out to God and says, God, where in the world are you at? I don't feel you. I don't sense you. I, you're, it feels like you're just leaving me here to, to just die, to just be miserable. But here's the, here's the encouraging part is that God says and God always will be working in our lives. Notice in verse 2 again it says, In the Holy Spirit who has been at work in your hearts, cleansing you with the blood of Jesus Christ and making you to please Him. He's doing two things. He's cleansing you. He's making you more into His image and changing you. He's molding you and making you more into like Jesus Christ. The, second, the third part of that verse, uh, verse 2 says, May God bless you richly and grant you increasing freedom from all anxiety and fear. When I read that in NIV, it says grace and peace be yours in abundance. It's not contradictory, but listen to this. You are richly blessed. As the good news says, may God bless you richly. You are richly blessed. Let me ask you a question. What is the definition of grace? What is the definition of Grace. One translation says, "Grace and peace be abundant to, you, or grace and peace be yours in abundance." The other translation says, "May God bless you richly and grant you increasing freedom from all anxiety, and fear." Isn't grace where God, out of His love and out of His mercy, out of His goodness, just says, "I'm going to lavish something good on you that you don't deserve." Isn't that grace? Isn't it grace when God looks at us and says, I love you so much that, you know, as Paul talks about in Ephesians, that he lavishes lavishes this this stuff on us, these blessings. Isn't that grace? He gives us things that we don't deserve, and he he, he doesn't give us what we do deserve. Guys, that's grace. Because I'm telling you, not one of us sitting in here this morning deserves grace. What God wants to give us we deserve completely the opposite we're not good people we're easily deceived but God says I love you and I'm constantly working in your life I'm blessing you I'm giving you this grace and then the second thing is this he gives us this this freedom from anxiety and fear and then, and, and again in the NIV it says grace and peace be yours in abundance isn't peace the absence of anxiety and fear Have you ever went through a really dark time in your life where you just felt overwhelmed? Have you ever been in a situation where you were facing something where it just felt like fear was just, you were cloaked with fear and anxiety? Maybe you're sitting here this morning, and that's what you're experiencing right now, where Peter is saying, man, God has so much more for you. The, the the absence of anxiety and fear is this incredible peace that just overflows us. Where this this sense of peace, where God out of His throne room just lavishes this peace upon us, where we think, you know what, everything's going to be okay because God is in control. God is in control, and, and and we have this sense of peace that just happens. God says He's working in our lives. Now here's the other thing we need to think about too. Because we're going to experience problems. We're going to experience trials. We're going to suffer from different things. In verse 7 it says their problems is to prove that your faith is genuine. Even gold is tested by fire. And so your faith must also be tested that it may endure. Then you will receive praise and honor on the day when Jesus returns. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.17. This short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing on us forever and ever. Guys... You know in, in in my area, in my field i 'm often going to funerals, often going to funerals, in fact, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Joe spoke for me actually two weeks one was my you know was my wife having a baby the week before that, my aunt passed away and as i 'm spending time at the funeral back in west virginia i 'm constantly being reminded that this life is so brief you 've been to funerals like that where you 're constantly reminded that. We're not guaranteed 90 years. We're not guaranteed 80 years. We're not guaranteed 70 years. We have no clue. Some of you may be sitting in here this morning, may go out this week and something happened, an accident. Or something, you know, God forbid something may happen within your life, some physical thing. And, and you die. And your family and the rest of us sit around thinking, wow, how is that possible? We're not guaranteed anything. Life is absolutely so brief. But when we experience this eternal life that God promises us, we realize that, you know what? The stuff that we're experiencing now is just but a snippet of time. That we're going to spend eternity with God forever and ever and ever. And the problems that we're facing right now, those things that we're bombarded with, those issues within our lives that, that makes it feel like there are no hope, those are absolutely, they're, they're dissipating even as we speak. And so some of the problems that we have, Some of the problems you may experience right now, God can use those to to, to bring himself glory. God can take something incredibly negative within your life and use it to bring something incredible through it. There's some women, um, uh, Kristen Horky and Renee Bangenner, and I don't want to embarrass you guys, but um, they have a ministry called Tiny Purpose, and I think of that. I think of a ministry like that. I think of something that is so negative that happened within these women's life where, where, where they had a miscarriage or stillbirth or whatever. And instead of taking that and dwelling upon it, they gave it to God and God now uses that to bring himself glory. God now uses that to take these women to other women who are experiencing the same tragic or have experienced the same tragedy and they're able to get into the lives of these women to say, God loves you. God loves you. You may not understand now, but God loves you. You see, that's what it's all about. When God takes our distress, when God takes things and uses it to bring Himself, it proves our faith genuine. The second, or the last one I want to share with you is this: <clears throat> God has secured my future. In verse 4 it says, God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Peter says, God has given you this priceless gift of eternal life. This incredible priceless gift of eternal life. And he, he, he coins it, he uses four or five different words in this one verse to just prove how priceless it is and how we can be so encouraged with it because uh, it's it's something that, that, again, that he just emphasizes it, saying that God's in control of it. He says this, it's reserved. Your eternal life is reserved. When you place your faith and trust in Christ and he gives us that eternal life, it is reserved. In the NIV, I believe it says the inheritance. You are promised this inheritance. It's not going to be taken away by anybody else. It's reserved for you. It's your inheritance. It's being kept by God. It's kept by him, pure, undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Verse 5, it says, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. Guys, how can this not provide hope within our lives? How can this this, this message that Peter was giving to these guys that were being chased by lions, being dipped in oil and strapped to a a stake and burned as human torches... How in the world can anybody receive encouragement from that? But he reaches out and he says, Your faith, your hope is not built on anything, but by the blood and grace of Jesus Christ. God has chosen you for his family. God is working in your life. And God has secured your faith, your salvation for eternity. That brings us hope in a world of shattered hope. There's a hymn that we used to sing. uh, I I grew up on it and, and... we used to sing it long ago. It's in our hymn books, but it's called uh, The Solid Rock, and it goes like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, on other, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the overwhelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Guys, you place your faith in anything else besides beside the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ that we are celebrating and emphasizing even so more today. You are literally standing on sinking sand. Whatever it is, is not going to provide you with the security that the, that the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ can only provide. You will be enveloped by your problems. You will, it cannot provide the hope that you're so desperately looking for, the security, the hope that you, that you want. In fact, by any time we place our hope and our trust in something that can't provide what only Jesus Christ can provide, is called an idol. It's called a false god. And for many of us, it's so easy for us to become deceived, to become so a little bit twisted, Where if we just stop and think where some of our discouragement comes from, is it not because we've placed a lot of hope in something that can't provide the living hope that only Jesus Christ can provide? You may be sitting in here this morning, and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe today's the day the Spirit's been just wrestling with you, and you've resonated with some of the things that's been said or sung, or we've watched on the video. And God's Spirit's hammering you right now, and He's saying, you want hope? It's in me. Maybe this is going to be the day you quit playing the game, you quit trying to live your life on your own, and you say, you know what? I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ right now. From this day forward, I will stand and build my life on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. Maybe you're a believer in here this morning, but in actuality, you resemble a pig pen. From peanuts, because every time you walk, you got this cloud of discouragement. Not stink, but I guess discouragement, discouragement could be stink. But every time you walk, you just got this sense of discouragement all around you. You're unhappy. Maybe it's because you continue to look for things other than the security only, that only Jesus can provide. And maybe today's the day you say, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm done with it. Jesus, I am recommitting my life to you. I am, I am handing this stuff over to you right now. You were given a card as you, were, as you walked in this morning. A blank card. There's some pens and pencils in front of you in the back of the pew. And I want to ask you to do this. I want to give you the opportunity to respond is what I'm asking. Okay, If you're in here this morning and today's the day you're going to say, You know what? I'm going to make a commitment of my life with Jesus Christ, would you write down there and say, you know what, God, my life is in your hands. Fold it up, walk up here, and place it in one of the baskets. Just a simple response. But it's a response saying, God, I'm ready to make this commitment. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're a a believer, but if someone would talk with you, you don't have a whole lot of hope. You're discouraged. You're discouraged. You're down. You've been placing your faith in things... And I'm not talking so much about salvation right now. I'm talking about you've just been, you've been deceived. Satan's got you. You've been deceived. You're duped. And you're living a life of discouragement. You're not happy. You don't have this inexpressible and glorious joy that Peter talks about. You have discouragement and gruntledness. Maybe today's the day you say, you know what? I'm done with this. Jesus, let's get let's let's start over. Would you write that down? Write it down. Come up. Throw it in your... By the way, this is between you and God. This isn't between you and your spouse or your kids or anything like that. This is between you and God. Maybe you're dealing with a specific incident in your life where you could look and you could say, you know what? You know, God just keeps bringing this one thing to your mind. You're placing your faith in that. You're placing your faith in that. You're placing your security in that. It's not in the living hope. Write it down. Fold it up. Bring it up. Drop it in the basket just want to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe, you know, if you're sick and tired of playing the game, today's the day that you need to get serious and say, you know what, God? I'm ready to start standing on solid ground, either again or for the first time, because I'm tired of feeling like I've been quick all the time in my life. We just want to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. We're going to throw a vid- another video with some music on it. The video is not the point. You don't sit and watch the video. Connect with God in a prayerful time. It's just providing some atmosphere. Connect with God. I know God is here. I've, I've, I've sensed him this whole day. God's spirit is here. And he so desperately wants to encounter, have an encounter with you. And maybe today's the day where you need to have that crashing intersection between your spirit and God. Would you do that as we close our time here with our response? And then let me just lead us into a word of prayer. God... You know we're human. You know how fragile we are. You know how easily deceived we can become. And God, I pray for those in here this morning that are very discouraged. I pray for those that that are looking at their problems, looking at things, events within their life where they just seem insurmountable and they just seem like there's no hope. I pray, God, that this might be the day that they would respond, whether it be for the first time ever with you. Or, God, maybe they're already a believer and they need to, just reconnect with you. I pray that that might happen. I pray that you would bring to our minds the things, the, maybe the one or two things that, are, that, that, are, that, that we're placing our hope in. And all it's producing is sinking sand. God, would you just direct us. And God, this morning, I pray that you would flood this place with a spirit of courage and not timidity. God, let us respond to you. And I pray and ask this, Through the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.